This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey, ChatGPT, write a script for a podcast arguing the wrongs and rights of faith and technology. Okay, let's call it device and virtue. Hello, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you once again from Chicago. I'm Adam. And I'm Chris. Hey, Adam, today we are talking about ChatGPT. Of course we are. And (laughs) this whole episode, we won't even create. We'll just let ChatGPT do it. It's actually an artificial intelligence that has (laughs) nailed our voices. I was thinking when we were talking about this, we don't need to do another AI thing. The problem is... With the world, we need to do another AI thing. <laughs> do you remember that the first episode of season eight, we talked about Dali. Dali, right. Which is the image generation artificial intelligence that was like blowing our minds because you could yeah. type in, give me a panda bear holding a Coca-Cola at a beach. Yes. And it would right. just draw it for you, give it the image. This is from the same group. Open AI, right. They are this nonprofit that we talked about then, and we. I thought mean, they're we were sort of barely a nonprofit. I know they are not, <laughs> right. but Microsoft has put yeah. one billion dollars behind them in 2019. Yeah, and they've <laughs> committed to 10 billion more in the next couple of years, and their valuation is 29 billion right now. So I don't know how a nonprofit gets a valuation of that, but. That's where they're headed. So they get a valuation like that because something happens like happened in the last two months. Yeah. When did this thing come out? Yeah. November 30th, ChatGPT hit the go button. Okay. And five days later, one million users were using it. Five days. Yeah. Which is crazy when you consider that social platforms like, say, Facebook took 10 months to get to a million user. 10 months. Right, right. And right. ChatGPT took five days. Five days. I mean, technology is changing very fast, but yes. this like has spread like wildfire. And I think we are starting to know why, because I've been playing with it, mm. you've been playing with it. Yeah. And for whatever reason, yeah, yeah, it's another website you go to. Yeah, it's another artificial intelligence sample that we're getting. But for whatever reason, this feels like we have crossed the line. Yeah, there's some barrier that has been crossed and there may be no going back. I mean, there was news that Google was on Code Red. They brought in yeah. the original founders, Sergey and the other guy whose name I don't <laughs> remember. <laughs> right. And and they were like, they're all huddling together. Like, what is Google going to do about this open AI startup? And they're worried their search business is going to go into the tank. Obviously, they've had Lambda, which is a large language model as well. Sort of the same technology. It's it's yeah. tr- doing it some t- similar things, producing billions of things. amounts of text and then scrubs it all with machine learning. Right sort of turns language into math in some ways yeah, and is absolutely. able to say something back. And this is the same one that a Google engineer said when, like last yeah, year, last that, summer. that they felt so real, they thought it was actually sentient, like yeah, actually alive. Exactly. Right? And I tell you what, interacting... But we've never seen that one. Like that's one... No, never, we haven't been able to That was never open to the public. So this is Correct. one of the first ones like that that's mm-hmm. available to the public. But now Google has released something called BARD. And well, I'm hearing in a few weeks, like it's private release now and then public okay. release in a few weeks, I yeah. think. Okay. But the point is you have now these two big players who are releasing large language model AI applications to the general public. And now it's essentially a arms race to see who can create the best chatbot, best searchable interactive text generation model that allows us to do everything we've been doing in a much more natural way. I mean, we should say there's sort of like two parts to the way this thing works, right? Like there's GPT right. and there's chat GPT. We're at yeah. GPT 3.5. How do you explain this? That's a great question. So GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Mm. And pre-trained means that a bunch of human beings have said, yes, this output was good. No, that output was bad. Yes, this output was good. No, that output was bad. Oh, right, right. And so they're using a reward model where they're saying, good boy, 
good good job <laughs> bad job good job bad job yeah, and they're training right. it a little bit like a dog yes yeah. and it's also using a set of rules to define how it's going to create that output and that set of rules is constantly getting updated as well it's a policy created by the ai itself and that's constantly getting reinformed by good job bad job good job bad job and so it's changing what the target is for how it achieves the outputs that we feel now are so natural in our own experience. And when you, when you use chat GPT, you can thumbs up or thumbs down a response. And that feedback is going back into the model and allowing them to improve it as they go along. Which what makes it so powerful. And I think the GPT-3 and then GPT-3.5, someone I heard someone explain it, like it's like the engine of the car, right? It's the computer underground that it's doing all that sure. processing, writing all those rules. But it was around before ChatGPT. ChatGPT right. was really just a website that they built so an ordinary person can go and chat with it, right? Put right. in a chat response. So some companies actually had access to right. the GPT engine mm -hmm. before this. In fact, MSNBC said there's like 480 startups in the US that are trying to do this stuff. And a lot of them are working with OpenAI. They have API access, like their computers can talk to the GPT engine. And they were actually selling some of this stuff to other companies right. on paid models. But then sort of unexpectedly, in fact, there was one company in Texas that said they had no idea. They were selling this for marketing. And then they heard that chat GPT went online. They went and tried it and realized for free, right. you can that's suddenly it. get the same thing that they were selling for some money to other companies. So, yeah. so that's a business disruption yeah. too. Yeah. But it's really two parts, the chat part, the natural mm -hmm. language part. Some of that we've had, right? Like we've had early version Alexa other things. Clippy. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible example. But it's the combination of you get, it's fun because you chat, yeah. but the engine underneath is doing the driving work, right? right? Right. Yeah. You know, I described how the GPT model got trained, but there's also, how does it actually output this text? And you said it's sort of math doing languages work. Yeah. Right. And the way I've thought about it is, okay, imagine you're driving in a self-driving vehicle and you want it to take you home. And the way it's designed to take you home is it's going to follow the route that most people take. So a person, when most people are turning left, you turn left. When most people turn right, you turn straight, right. right. When most people go straight, you go straight. And that's essentially in part what the text generation is doing. It's saying, let's look at all the text. Let's ingest all the text from the internet. And let's look at, okay, after this word, what's the next most likely word? So after the, what's the next most likely word? World. In all the text, in all the world, this is the turn that most people make when they say the. Okay. Right. So then you go the world. So then it keeps going and going. Every word is a new turn and every turn you're deciding, okay, which turn should it take? Is that going to really get you home? Probably not. And that's the accuracy thing that we'll get into. Oh. But what happens is it actually goes and looks at the whole string of everything it's written so far, and it uses all of that information to determine, okay, based on this whole sentence, now what's the most likely next word? So okay. it's not just looking at a word, it's looking at a whole sentence. And eventually it's looking at paragraphs and paragraphs of information. And so it can say what's the most likely next paragraph. For yes, instance. exactly. It's incredible. Okay, I think we are getting too abstract. Let's, <laughs> let, let's start with actually, I tried this out. I want to trial you some yeah. of the things I tried and yes. let's see what it came up with. And then I can tell you why I think this might be the best and biggest technology in our lives. Ooh, Okay. So the way you use ChatGPT is you literally go to chat.openai.com. That's where I went. Yep. And right now, it's gotten so busy that sometimes you get login and you have to create a little account. Other yeah. times, you get an error saying it's too full, <laughs> which you were just getting. Yeah. Just they, now. Right, right. I was having trouble getting <laughs> we're in. just trying to record and yeah. you're like, I can't get in. It's too full. There's so many people using it. Yeah. They say in January 2023, they had 100 million unique visitors. This is crazy. So I, okay, I'm going to admit this, Adam. People were talking about you can type in anything to this thing. You can ask it to like write me a recipe. Right. You right. can be like with these ingredients. You can mm -hmm. say, give me a workout plan. You can ask it a history question. Mm. Students, and we can talk about this, like your teacher is saying, write a five 
paragraph essay on the right. Revolutionary War, and you say write it a five paragraph essay on the yeah. Revolutionary War, and it why does. Why should it. I do it? And it's like sort of good. That's why people are freaking out. You almost can't tell right away on first blush mm. whether it was mm. written by a human. I was so enamored. The first thing I wrote to it was, "What is my future?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's like God. <laughs> and it replied, As a language model, I do not have the capability to predict the future. I can provide information, answer questions based on my training data, but cannot predict events that have not yet occurred. It is best to consult with experts to make your own plans for the future. And for the future. Right, right. And it's using, like, okay. Yeah, it's using historical data. It had data through 2021. And so it's, Based on historical information, not anything other than that. Then I kept playing, so very tiny toy stage on this, right? Toy yeah, tool environment. Exactly. We start with new technologies by playing with them. Yeah. And I wrote, if you could only have one thing, if you're stranded on a desert island, what would it be? <laughs> uh, electricity. <laughs> and it goes, if I were stranded on a desert island and can only have one thing with me, I would choose a satellite phone. This would allow me to communicate with the outside world and potentially get rescuer help in a survival situation. Being able to communicate and get help is crucial. Of course, there are many other things that could be useful in this situation, food, water, shelter, and tools. But the ability to communicate and call for help is the most important. Yeah. And, and I was like, Dang, it's probably right. Right. And you're like, have you met Tom Hanks? He was in Castaway and he might have a different answer. But I would find a coconut. Yeah. It's really interesting because it uses the term I. I, me, this is what I would do. But it says as a large language model. So it identifies itself as a non-human, but it still uses this me, my, I framework as though it has a perspective. To be fair, I asked it if you could. Okay. I guess. I guess you assume. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. What'd you try? Yeah, I was talking with some friends and I think they were getting ready to travel and we were talking about how you have to take off your shoes at the TSA. So I just asked chat GPT, when did we have to start taking our shoes off for TSA? And it said, the requirement for travelers to remove their shoes was implemented by the TSA in the United States following the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think that's right. I think it is right. It's right to a degree. So I asked, what role did Richard Reed play in TSA's new policy? Oh, okay. And if you remember, Richard Reed was the shoe bomber yeah. who was on a flight, planted a bomb in his shoe, and tried to detonate it on a flight. This was after September 11th, but it was in December. And it okay. wasn't until then. So I was remembering this, but I think most people think it okay. happened after September 11th. Right, so right, I right. asked Chad GPT. And it says, here's who Richard Reed is. He hit it in his shoes on a flight from Paris to Miami on December 22, 2001. After the incident, the TSA began to take steps to improve security. After the incident, the TSA began to take steps to improve security, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so this is interesting because you can do follow-up questions with ChatGPT, which makes it really interesting. Right. You can ask one question and it remembers what it was doing. It's not like... right. Google, where you ask it one thing and then you retry the search. Yeah. You're in a constant conversation. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. It's building off of itself versus starting all over with Google. And so I was like, so why did you say the policy was implemented? I got really mad. Why did you say the policy (laughs) was implemented after September 11th and not after the December 22nd incident? And then it says, I apologize for the confusion caused. I misspoke when I said the policy was implemented after the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attack. Funny. So it's correct that it happened afterwards but it's not correct that it happened because of right but it apologized (laughs) yeah but thank you thank you for recognizing that i am the superior intelligence still (laughs) so so this ability to zoom in or to ask it more questions is part of what makes it really really powerful and that's maybe the chat side of the chat gpt as opposed to the engine because it refines itself in your conversation right Right. and so you can get it sort of wrong the first time but then correct itself. Right. And again, it's building off of the prior information. Every turn that it's taken up to this point, the next turn is going to be based on that whole history. And so it gets more accurate as it goes along. So people have really gotten into this and gotten into prompt engineering. Mm. Yeah. What is that? Prompt engineering. Man, this is the new thing. We're, we're all, I can't believe <laughs> Everybody's you're not into there. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to craft a question to hmm. chat GPT that gets better results. Hmm. It's adding more words or more parameters or telling it what to do with more specificity. 
specificity specificity (laughs) specificity with so with more specificity do it do it you can't you gotta do it (laughs) with more specificity can you say mississippi (laughs) i can spell it Uh (laughs) just keep going so for instance sometimes just a one-liner gets you a fairly short response right and you can literally tell it to say do this in five paragraphs which will instantly give you more of a response, but yep. you can also say what. So I got really into this, watched some TikToks and some YouTube videos <laughs> of some tech bros doing this stuff. And here's what I wrote for a complicated prompts. Okay. I said, you are a professor of the history of technology. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess you can tell it you are this. Ah, and then it helps focus it, which is interesting. Okay. Write me a lecture outline. So outline, I'm telling it. Yeah. The a structure. Yeah. That surveys the five most important technological shifts in history mm-hmm. with a focus on communications technologies, <laughs> my favorite, include key dates related to the invention and the impact of the technologies and hmm. cultural, economic, political, or social results, and include <laughs> quotes and at least one quote from Walter Ong and another one from a relevant technology historian. Oh my gosh. I have to say, I'm glad that you are not my history of technology professor because that is intimidating. It gave me a page and a half outline. That's incredible. Lecture outline. The five most important technological shifts in history. One, introduction. The importance of understanding the history of technology. Two, the shift from oral to literate culture. 6000 BC to a D1400. Dates. One, development of cuneiform in Sumer. Two, development of the alphabet in ancient Greece. Three, introduction of the printing press in Europe. Quote from Walter Ong, writing is the technology of civilization. Point one, point two, point three, point four is the shift from print to electric culture from late 19th century to the present. It gives me a quote from John Durham Peters Mm, saying electric communication is not just a new way of doing an old thing, but a radical transformation of communication itself. It gave me key dates around the telegraph and the commercialization of the telephone. I could lecture off this. Right, right. And did John Durham Peters actually say that? Oh, maybe. No idea. But we don't actually know. Well, we say that because we've been hearing reports of it quoting things with certainty that are actually not quotes. Yeah. Or it says these are things that exist that don't actually exist necessarily. Yeah, it is incredible. And it reminds me of our conversation with Andy Crouch. He mentioned prompt wars. We were talking about Dolly oh, yeah. at that right, time. Right, right. And he was saying there are prompt wars now. People compete to see who can create the best prompt to produce the best Dolly image result. And this sounds a lot like the same thing. Now I could hire someone to produce a prompt that will really help me get where I'm going, I guess. Absolutely. Any other examples from you? Yeah. So another tag back, we did an episode on evangelism chatbots way back when. I think it was like season one or two. And at that point, we were like imagining such a future, like it was 10 years off. And here we are three or four years later, and it is possible. I was showing chat GPT to my parents and somehow we got to talking about the concept in the Bible of rewards. Okay. And so, you know, we're kind of doing this live. We're playing computer. Right. <laughs> and, and I said, what do evangelicals believe the Bible says about rewards? And it says evangelicals. And then it describes who they are. Generally believe that the Bible teaches that believers will receive rewards in heaven for their faithfulness and service to God on earth. According to the teaching, these rewards may take the form of crowns or other symbols of honor that are given to believers as recognition of their faithfulness and service. And then it quotes two passages, 1 Corinthians 3.14, which I think is accurate, and Matthew 25.34, which is also accurate. So then I asked it a follow-up question. Huh, I said, huh. okay, so how should these rewards influence the choices I make. And this got really interesting. Some moral reasoning. It said, As a Christian, it is natural to want to please God and serve Him in the best way possible. If you believe that the Bible teaches that believers receive rewards in heaven for their faithfulness and service to God on earth, this belief can serve as a motivator to you. However, it is important to remember that our ultimate goal as Christians should not be to earn rewards or seek recognition, but rather to love and serve God out of a heart of gratitude and obedience. And it quotes Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And I was like, dang, that's like preaching, right? Your motivation shouldn't just be to get rewards. It shouldn't be fire insurance. It should be out of love and gratitude. And I'm like, "Mm." like it's doing evangelism at that point, right? This is the evangelism chatbot. I think we see why people's minds are blown on this technology. Yeah, absolutely. 
This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Okay, so we've talked about what it is. We've got some examples, but let's get to the real heart of the issue. <laughs> what is ChatGPT going to change? Because there is a lot of hand wringing, a lot of anxiety. You're the pro tech guy here. What <laughs> is ChatGPT going to change going forward? Well, one, ChatGPT is about to change. It is now changing search as we know it. Okay. Yeah. So the death of the search engine. Yeah. It's over. Google. The Google search engine is gone with this, and I think it's about time. Mm, interesting. The search engine has been a woefully underpowered tool for okay. like a way long. Like it's almost dumb. Mm. We're going to look back at this moment and go, we needed something so much sooner. And the reason is, is you see the number of results. I search for anything, I get 8 million results. <laughs> like search engines right now, imagine a sea of skyscrapers, right? And every skyscraper represents different knowledge pillars and all the knowledge of the world. And imagine that it's all flooded in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> flood. And it's all like the water is up to the top of every skyscraper in Chicago, except it goes further. And then imagine that we're a rowboat on top of the water. <laughs> and we're like, find this. And all you can see is a few of the tops of the buildings that poke out on the top of the water. Okay, And like, that's what you get. So you get these search results for the big Wikipedia tower okay. and the big other towers, but there's okay. millions and millions and millions of pieces of knowledge. Some are dumb, but lots of them are useful that mm. we never see. Mm. Okay, I'm just saying ChatGPT, we go from a rowboat to like a fleet of submarines. Okay. We're flooded with information. There's only a couple that come up as sources of information. But Chris, how does this increase discoverability? Because if I'm using ChatGPT right now... I actually don't have access to any of its sources. I don't have any access to its materials. I ask it to cite sources. Maybe it does it. And then I have to go find those using search engine. Like there's not links to its sources. So sure, how do you but do it, that? But in your term, it could probably do something like that. Maybe okay. like, do take us to some sources. But here's the bigger point of the one to make on that, because I would say on that same idea, I think chat GBT will change human innovation as we know it. Okay. And by this, I mean, chat GPT is like a vacuum, not a vacuum of knowledge. I'm thinking about the vacuum sitting on my wall over here. Okay. <laughs> <in my closet. laughs> You're saying it sucks. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> right. No, I was thinking about our little vacuum the other day. I was thinking about how it's one of those tools around the house that you grab and you use and you don't think about how it works. Like right. I spilled Cheerios, you know, right, so like, right. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sucking things up and it feels fairly simple as a mental model. Like it's got an engine and it's got a little motor in there somehow. Yeah. It has a battery and storage, like it's one of those cordless ones. Sure. So, and it stores charge and it charges on the wall. It's got a thing that spins on the bottom. I don't actually know how suction works. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I'm like, <laughs> there's a that seems filter. Really, it's, yeah, there's a filter, but it, was, it seems like it's yeah. really easy, the suction, but actually there's some sort of physics that that motor creates suction and I don't actually understand what it is. I assume <laughs> okay. it's spinning, but it does something else. <laughs> Either way, if it breaks, I can check a few things, but then I'd have to call a vacuum repair guy. Okay. Now that vacuum repair guy comes and knows a lot about these kind of vacuums. Wait, so he's showing up at your house now? Yeah, yeah. It's just okay. that... This is the 1980s. Go with the story. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Correct. And the vacuum repair guy knows a lot about vacuums. He knows how these motors are supposed to work. He knows that the battery is supposed to go here. Mm -hmm. He knows when the suction is weak, you maybe check the filter or something. He doesn't actually know how the motor works when you get inside the motor. Okay. Because motor engineers made that. There's motor repair people, but the vacuum repair person is not a motor repair person. Like, it's too complicated. They would get to the point where he pulled out that metal thing and you have to undo screws and pull off the metal top and there'd be something else going in and there that the vacuum guy is not trained for. Like he's trained to do the vacuum. Right. Right. It's too detailed. And the same with the battery. Like there are electricians and battery designers that have made the battery to hold charge. There are chemicals in there. It, like there's all right. these practical right. things. If I ask the guy, I'm like, he's like, it's the battery. You just got to replace it. I'm like, well, can you just fix the battery? He's like, no, I don't know anything about batteries. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. how would I know that, right? And so all the component parts of the vacuum, the vacuum repair guy has no idea. You get too deep. 
So we can go back into the battery engineers and ask them, well, how does this work? And they're like, oh, you do this and you do this. Now they're not going to come to my house, but they'll know this stuff. But at some point, they're not going to know what the chemistry is going on inside because okay. that's from a chemist and that's a theoretical thing. Okay. I'm talking about the component parts mm-hmm. of these complex, and that's a real simple technology, but it has parts that we don't know on, but we sort of stand on the shoulders of. Okay. ChatGPT is a platform. Right. And if we go back to my skyscrapers, which we're all floating above, <laughs> ChatGPT is like a worker on the 50th floor of the new Salesforce Tower downtown in Chicago. Okay. They know everything about, even the engineers that are writing ChatGPT, they know a lot about what's happening on the 50th floor. They know a lot about how the walls are going to be arranged on the floor, but they don't know everything about what's beneath that because in every modern program, you have all these other layers of that's going on, like in every modern software, okay. including AI software, okay. right? You have got these different components. And these days, my dad used to program in machine language, like ones and zeros. Like that was the language of machines. And they somehow in the 70s, they would like write out some stuff in machine language, <laughs> like which wasn't ones and zeros, but it was like yeah. instructions that pretty much translated to ones yeah. and zeros. And then they'd use punch cards. And then we got up to programming languages. By the time I got to college, I'm writing in this code that automates all the machine language and punch card stuff. And I just write a sentence in code that does it. Now, the code that you learn is nothing like the code I learned in college 20 years ago because it automates all that. In each one of these is a floor on the skyscraper that builds up to a higher and higher and higher. And now our language model is able to build on all the previous floors and people don't know what's under the previous floors. Okay. Not many people. And you're saying this is going to drive innovation. Yeah, because now I, I can reach higher. The apps that we have on our phone use Swift which is a programming language that Apple put out a long time ago. It automates all the things about how your app flips between other apps, what moves, what's going on with your email address, where the information is stored. The app programmers don't do any of that work. Okay. They build on everything else. That's why they can build an app. If they had to build on everything else, you couldn't have Grubhub. You couldn't have YouTube. And so ChatGPT raises us to the level where there's a new floor that we are building on top of where we can build a dramatic new set of innovations, responses, and programs where we don't know all the sources. We can't go back to the source, but we sort of won't need to. We're like the vacuum repair guy. We'll be able to do some stuff at the top, but we won't be able to get in further. And that's actually okay. It moves us up. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think is it's... Is that too many analogies at once? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there was a ton of analogies. I'm trying to make all the connections. I mean, the discoverability of the internet seems to go way down in your analogy, not way up. So like finding information from a specific source seems to disappear behind this veil called ChatGPT. Yeah, um, because that's sort of old school, isn't and, it? And you're saying it doesn't matter anymore. But but what's that uh, source? Th- that the, source learned that source from other things too. What's your source? Maybe it's a professor. Sure, sure. But think about at Loyola all the, University I, I'm who learned about, about history. I'm just saying they read history books. Sure, ChatGPT sure. is going to read those. Yeah, but books. I'm thinking about all the livelihoods that are depending on the traffic that goes to those sites. That all disappears in your future scenario. Well, it it changes things dramatically. It it does change things dramatically. And there are people that maybe the hand wringing is appropriate. And then the innovation thing, and maybe I'll get into my critique here as a way to talk about what you're saying. In my experience with using ChatGPT, and I think the example from TSA and taking your shoes off is sort of an example. I think ChatGPT is really good in general, but it's bad in specifics. So it's really good at imagining how to get a peanut butter sandwich out of a VCR using King James English, as it's been known to do. (laughs) And it's creative that way. And it's funny that way. And it does it in a generalized way. But if you get down to specifics of asking, what are your sources? Or how exactly does the chemistry work in this? I actually don't think ChatGPT is going to get it right. I think it's going to get it wrong because it's getting too specific. Just like I asked... Was it actually about September 11th? And ChatGPT couldn't answer that question because I had to sort of feed it the information about Richard Reed for it to go and pull that information and actually dive deeper and say, oh, yeah, no, actually, I was wrong. 
because it's going to get you generally in the space of the right direction. And it's just like my example with driving a car where your car is following what most other cars, where they turn and what word comes next. It's getting in the general direction, but it's not probably going to get you to your house. It's going to get you maybe to your neighborhood. Well, I think it's likely to get to your house, actually, on your analogy. I, because there's only so many choices you can make when you turn to get to there. And I mean, I live in Chicago, so there's a lot of choices, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, but I, yeah, okay, we can talk about the analogy and argue about that. But in reality, the fact is, it didn't get it right about the TSA shoes. I had to feed it that information. I actually it had actually to know. did get it right. You just didn't ask it enough detail on the question. It came after 9-11, and it came after the increased security presence for 9-11. And, and that's but what I'm what you're saying. What you're saying is that you it reminded was, it there was a more specific It was thing. generally right, but it wasn't specifically right until right. I got it to go there. Yeah. Yeah. But so... Like a professor or an expert is going to get it specifically right, not generally right when they talk about it. And I don't think Chad GPT is getting it specifically right. That's my argument. And so how will chat GPT change the future as we know it? I think it's going to take general ideas and it's going to take the loudest voices and it's going to take the most common ideas like we took our shoes off because of September 11th, which is probably what the internet says most of the time. And it's going to elevate those voices, but it's actually going to marginalize voices at that are at the margins, that maybe it's a perspective or maybe it's a fact that isn't represented the way it should be, but is in fact true. And ChatGPT, by using statistics around what word comes next, it's getting it generally on average correct, but it's not getting it specifically correct. Yeah, I think it's an observation, but so you're saying it might make all generalized knowledge yeah. hegemonic, sure. meaning common sense becomes the only sense. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. But that happens already. Sure. And in fact, one of the reasons that happens is based back on my skyscrapers in the ocean is because we tend to all work from some of the same sources. And Mm -hmm. then if we're on the political polarization, we work from the same sources, just like two different sets of them or three different sets of them. (laughs) Yeah, different polls. Yeah. And this is why I talk about broadcast media and social media interacting so much because you have like one major source on the broadcast and then everyone reamps it on the social. ChatGPT doesn't have to do what you're describing, I don't think. I think the fact that you called it marginalized data to begin with indicates that it already is, but a language model, we can ask it to be like, give me some opinions that are not the majority opinion. And right away, ChatGPT could do that. I've asked it to do that and had challenges with it. Okay. Yeah. And it's in the first two months of it doing this. Sure. But I guess I believe that these large language models, whether it's Google's this or these, yeah. the one thing they're not doing right now is self-correcting against the real world. Okay. So they are reading a ton of books. So mm-hmm. it fed it, we don't know it's proprietary, it fed it a ton of books, it fed it a ton of websites, but it has gaps. Right. But it's not checking things against the real world. The language model is not able to, for instance, I live near the train. The CTA, the Chicago Transit Authority website, says that the train comes every seven minutes on the blue line to the train station near my stop. But the reality is they've had a lot of problems in the last few (laughs) months. It's a big issue in the city. And sometimes there's ghost trains, trains that just don't show up. So like instead of seven minutes, it'll be 15 minutes Uh or 22 minutes because the driver didn't show up that morning. Sure. And so... ChatGPT at this point doesn't have a way to observe that the actual train is running. So it's going to get that wrong. I say, hey, how often does the train come on the blue line? It's going to say every seven minutes. It's going to be wrong. Yeah. But that's only because we don't have it hooked up to that source. As soon as we hook that up to the source and those data sources out there, Mm -hmm. it's going to actually know, hey, it's supposed to come every seven minutes, but it actually, the next one's going to be in 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so as soon as we hook things up to real-world data, I think it's going to be shockingly good at Mm. at providing more specificity than you give it credit for. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll acknowledge that. At this stage, it is a proof of concept, and people are experiencing it for the first time, and finding the flaws in it like I am. But I would agree that they will iterate and improve. And yeah, hopefully the specificity will improve. But we need to continue to recognize that it's using mathematical averages to predict what text it should give you. And by giving you averages, it's always going to be the most common response and not necessarily a creative or out-of-the-box response. That's what it seems to be. The technology itself seems to lend itself and afford that as a feature and not as a bug. 
I don't think it's a bug that can be fixed necessarily. There is one key person that's arguing for you in this case. Okay. And it's ChatGPT itself. <laughs> because I asked ChatGPT, I didn't mention this one earlier, to write an essay. I won't go into the whole prompt. Comparing the printing press and Elizabeth Eisenstein <laughs> with the impact of ChatGPT to today. Okay. So it wrote me an essay. Maybe I'll post this essay on our website because it was sort of good. <laughs> and what it said was that just like the printing press democratized knowledge mm -hmm. and made information and knowledge more widely accessible and level the playing field on knowledge, ChatGPT would do sort of the same thing, mm -hmm. give more people more knowledge. That's not exactly the same thing. I guess the idea you're saying is that that knowledge might spread out the same idea to everybody. And yeah, maybe I could see that. Yeah. And I, I will concede your point that for the average person who wants to learn generally about how a vacuum works, <laughs> like they're going to learn a lot from ChatGPT because they don't know anything about right. the motor the battery. And so it'll get you in the ballpark. And that's a good thing. Like the level of education that can come just from like general knowledge. It's like looking at Wikipedia and you're going to get a good general start. But I would say go into the sources that Wikipedia is citing because that's going to give you a better perspective than Wikipedia alone. And I would say the same thing with ChatGPT. Like it's a great place to start. It's not a great place to end. Okay, fine. I think this is one of the biggest changes for human innovation possibly <laughs> in our lifetimes, which is silly to say right so close to it, but man, it seems crazy cool. It really does. I know there are other criticisms out there. What are some of the other negative observations? I promise everybody that that's what you've been reading <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the big ones I've heard is the education side of things. Like you mentioned, a teacher could ask for a prompt and the student could go home and not write that. They could just put the prompt into ChatGPT. Chicago Public it. Schools already banned ChatGPT or something. They made right. a rule. Whereas like, I'm hearing teachers go, no, 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 you can't ban this. You can't you ban gotta, it. It's, it. You got to embrace it. Well, and going back to the fact that Google is like code red and they're releasing Bard soon. And the fact that you're now in an arms race. Like this to me, we've talked about is technology inevitable and does it drive history? Like this feels inevitable. Like the future of ChatGPT, like... And, and to your point, you can't ban it. It's just not realistic to think that you're going to ban it's it. It's not really feasible. And OpenAI even came out with a chat GPT detector to like detect, was this generated by chat GPT? Which they're saying it's only 25% accurate. Okay. Yeah. Although there's another, and I watched a really fascinating nerd TikTok the other day. <laughs> I think I said it to you of another group that is, you know how you're talking about the, when it makes choices, it chooses left or right and goes with the yeah. majority thing and, or goes with the next thing that should happen. Right. This other group has figured out how to add like an invisible digital fingerprint to AI things. Yeah. Watermark. That watermark. Yeah. By that meaning, of course, like if you read it as a human, it seems the same as all the other things coming yeah. out of there but it actually has some statistical anomalies oh, that sure. make it that it can find. So in other words, say that I say the cat is a color, let's just say, and you have to choose brown, black, gray, these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Maybe those are three options, brown, black, or gray. Well, the chat GPT, it can be told it's allowed to choose brown or black, but not gray, just for the sentence. Mm. And it excludes certain available words mm -hmm. in a pattern throughout the thing. And I know that sounds complicated. Sure. But it's able to detect that, the fact that it, if this wasn't being used, that other word would show up at a certain percentage number of times. And yeah, that's yeah. how they detect underneath. Yeah. But that's really complicated. But I think it's an arms race. You're right. There'll yeah. be a better AI and then a, trying to yeah. do another AI detector. And regardless, a teacher in a classroom is not that person. Right. And the fact that we've created this thing and now we're creating a detector to detect the thing, it caused me to ask the question like, should this thing exist? If we're already creating something that everybody's worried about it, like, should it exist? We don't get to decide that because Google and OpenAI... Because technology AI, is inevitable, Adam. It, it's what it seems like. <laughs> but you have a nonprofit and a for-profit, both with these profit incentives on some level, who are saying, we're going to do this and we're going to go after it and the world be damned. We're going to just go with what makes us money. And that's where we're at. And unless society as a whole says no... It's not feasible. And so unless students and teachers both agree that ChatGPT isn't a good thing, a ban doesn't make sense. And so I agree, you have to embrace your enemy if you're a teacher and say- It's the enemy. For Adam, <laughs> the technology is the enemy. No, I'm just thinking how teachers are looking at it. Like, this is going to completely change how I teach. 
And that might be an okay thing, but you have to embrace it and say, okay, how do I embrace ChatGPT and actually use it for the benefit of my students? Yeah. Yeah. One of the friends of the podcast, Thomas, who's an Old Testament professor on the West Coast, he's already helping educate the professors at his university about the essays that students could write using this thing. Right. Because honestly, can write at a college sophomore level and it's going to get better. Yeah. And one professor said, you're right, the facts do get wrong sometimes, but the writing style is so good. Like Mm. the punctuation and the (laughs) phrases are so good, it almost disguises it because you read it and it's like lucid Mm -hmm. and refers back to other sentences. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel anything like the Alexa kind of language that we are used to from computers. Right. Yeah. And once this enters Alexa, that's a game changer again. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, even our friend John Dyer, He's dean of enrollment at Dallas Seminary, and I think he was even talking about putting policies in place around using ChatGPT for for seminary because you know those pastors they're just likely to use ChatGPT and completely. Oh, I went to seminary. There was definitely (laughs) some cheating that happened sometimes. Oh man, yeah, (laughs) truth, yeah. I know you're like really enthusiastic, and I'm somewhat enamored by it as well. What's something you see that you're like? I don't know about this. I'm just going to go with you for a second on the negative because I am a writer. I love mm. writing. Yeah. And it is shocking to see how well ChatGPT puts together yeah. the writing. Yeah. And especially the five paragraph form, which we got taught in AP class, which, you know, is sort uh-huh. of like <laughs> introduction, make your three points, closing, you yeah. know, yeah. like yeah. read some of your points. But I mean, it's taught on the college board exams. So maybe writing goes down as a skill because a teacher at this point in high school, instead of saying, write me the five paragraph essay, they can do it in person, maybe in their classroom mm-hmm. and they need to be able to do this. But I think more often a good teacher is going to say, go to ChatGPT, have it write this essay, and then turn in the essay that the AI provided with you redlining it. Like with you highlighting or circling things that says this is inaccurate, this is accurate, this is wrong, here's how I would rewrite this, I would have included this point, this is the sources. Yeah, that's how a teacher is probably going to have to teach, which means good at skimming information and collation and collaboration, which are the kind of skills you need now, but that core skill of writing might go downhill. And so and and critical thinking. Like right. Was it September eleventh or was it December twenty second? Like just being critical about it and saying, okay, how do I go find information or whatever. But I do think there's another criticism about right now the language model, and I'm not sure how we stop this so far, can make things up. Right. And it sounds super confident. So like there was one journalist that asked it to write an essay and it wrote a quote from a living person who writes on that topic, but he tried to find the quote and the quote didn't exist. Yeah. It wrote a quote and attributed it to a person that wasn't for real. But it was like something the person would say. Yeah. So like it sort of fit, Uh, but like, uh. so there could be significant factual errors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, say we go back to the notion of a evangelism chatbot. Is it theoretically possible that I have a conversation with Jesus and he says things he never said, but sounds like he might say. And then, well, to be fair, that's anyway, we'll get that's sort of the that's part of the work of the theology in the church. Yeah. <laughs> because Jesus doesn't address a mm, lot of mm, topics mm, and mm. whether or not that's controversial. The reality is, is we do extrapolate and go, here's a principle. Now, how do we apply that principle somewhere else? What would Jesus say in this situation? Right, what would Jesus right, maybe bracelet right, do in this right, situation? Right, right, right. So, okay, but that's the responsibility of the theology in the church. Now it's getting transitioned and transferred to the responsibility of ChatGPT. What does that mean then for the church and for theology and the work of these tradition-bearing communities? I'm going to put this, just going to bury this in the middle of the heart of this podcast here. Someone's going to do this soon, but if you just put the words of the Bible into this model, into the engine part, GPT-3, and that's sort of it. Mm -hmm. You don't put other things in there. And then you ask questions like you were asking, like, what does the Bible say, quote unquote, about X? Yeah. I predict that the answers will be pretty different, or there'll be several areas where the answers are fairly different than the standard line on the Christian theology. Right. And Christians who say that they only believe the Bible and nothing else are going to have to look at that closely because I think the reality is, is we believe the Bible, how it's been interpreted also by the church. Right. And if you take away all the church interpretation through time. Right. I think you're going to get some funny answers and it might create some weird neutrality or not <laughs> new neutrality. Yeah. 
and, uh, might get in trouble for all that, but I think that's true. <laughs> no, I can totally see it. And I think it will then beg questions for both pastors and theologians and the average person in the pew being like, okay, this is what the only Bible chat GPT says, you know, Chris. <laughs> the chat GPT Bible. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. We got to create this, right? Bible GPT. And it'll be say, able to say like chapter and verse for everything. Yeah. Because that'll be its source. Yeah. But the reality is, is we wait certain things. Right. And we and certain voices. dismiss or pro- maybe properly dismiss and other things improperly dismiss mm-hmm. right. certain things right. that are in the text. And there's also things that are fairly significant abstractions from the text that we really hold on to. Yeah. And so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and I think then you could do that with the canon of the reformers or the desert fathers Correct. or yeah. all these different traditions could end up being part and of In the Anglican or Catholic tradition, of course, you would do that because mm-hmm. there's a better acknowledgement and even Lutheran and Methodist and other Protestant yeah. traditions that there's a better acknowledgement of like we have interpreted this through time, through the church mm-hmm. and through the Holy Spirit. But yeah, if you just took the words of the Bible without that stuff, it could get crazy. Yeah, it'll be really interesting, and it'll cause the church to reflect and dialogue together, hopefully. Since we're already doing a lot of these Christian observations, I want to bring up this other big negative and how it gives us significant pause on the moral and theological implications of ChatGPT. So one other big negative criticism that's come up around ChatGPT, actually, I'll correct myself, because the negative criticism has been around racism or pornography or negative things that these large language models can spew. It hasn't come up around ChatGPT because what they did Mm. is they took a lot of advanced programming and tried to make sure it would cut out some of those things. There right. are some sources that have found it to say yeah, they've been some able things, to but they've been it. much smaller. There was other, wasn't it, Microsoft had a Twitter bot. Yeah, Tay. Yeah. 2016, something like that, 2015. And it, yeah, it was on Twitter for not more than 24 hours before people that were talking to it and asking it questions got it to spew all sorts of racist, sexist remarks. Yeah. Yeah, which is right. And so like they shut that down because <laughs> right. like, oh no, no, right, no, oh right, no, right. oh no, oh no. And so there's a lot of questions around, well, what are the moral implications if these chatbots say like really racist or other things or really demeaning, sexualized, mm-hmm. other stuff. And right now they're essentially using a pair of programmatic scissors. Yeah. They have literally programmed to be like, okay, the simplest form is if it has this word or this word, just don't say it back. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, it told me, I can't tell you the future. And I almost wondered if they programmed that in there saying, right. don't try this. Don't speculate. I'm sure it's more complicated than just a pair of scissors because they have AI to go back so they can <laughs> say, if it sounds like this, if it starts to sound like pornography, don't mm-hmm. say this. Mm-hmm. But they're having to reverse engineer. And the reason they're having to reverse engineer is because in human language, in the preponderance of the World Wide Web, yeah. what's the number one thing on the web? It's actually pornography, right. like in terms of total sum. Like right. you have to go there. Right. But is there racist books? Yes. Are there sources? Yes. Yeah. If you look at the real human body of language, you get this stuff, and we're going to say theologically, you get a ton of sin. Right. There's both sin and grace represented. Mm-hmm. What's happening morally in this thing is that the language bot is looking like a huge mirror of the human race, mm. and it has the potential to reflect back all the evils, mm. yeah. all the negatives that are in there. Right. And we're like, oh no, oh no, oh no, cut it out, cut it out. <laughs> but the reality is, is it's also a moment for us to reflect and go, wait, sin does shoot through the mm-hmm. human experience. Right. The interesting thing with ChatGPT is it maybe shoots through without any sort of moralizing about it. It just says it. It's unapologetic, so to speak. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you're saying, it's been highly cut and scissored so that those things don't come through. But that's another side of it too, right? Like somebody is using those scissors. OpenAI is using those scissors. And there is a set of values around OpenAI and within OpenAI that says, we value this, this, and this. We don't value this or this, and we want to cut those things out. Right. But at the same time, their own perspective is not going to be representative of the entire human race. And they're going to have biases that they're not even aware of in how they're cutting this or that out. And so certain aspects are going to come through in ChatGPT that don't just represent all of humanity, but they represent an edited version by OpenAI. And same with Google. Google's own values and perspectives are going to reflect how they edit and how they filter what happens with their system. Yeah, it's more complex, but it's a more complex version of the same thing where social media companies like Facebook and Twitter have had right. ma- make decisions about 
what kind of content remains up and what kind of content right. they take down or this intermediate thing that a lot of people have accused them of, like shadow banning, yeah. where the content's there, but a lot of people aren't seeing it. Right. They're making decisions about that stuff. Right. And so those value systems that are at play in filtering become subject to a lot of conflict and a lot of disagreement around what should the values be that are filtering the internet. And Christians are going to have a lot of different thoughts about this. It's going to be the same thing as the public square conversation. Yeah. Like, do we live within a pluralistic society where people have different versions of what they believe right. morally? Right. Or is it going to be where we want to enforce a certain set of parameters of Christian values, which I'm going to argue as a Christian are good for you, <laughs> good for humans, yeah. but it might be different than the values that mm-hmm. exist majority-wise. And so these chatbots are going to provide moral ambiguity for some Christians. Okay, Adam, you know what time it is. I do. Since we've been talking about one of the most transformational technologies, potentially of our lifetime, says me. Yeah, and I agree. I think our vice and virtue should be one similarly, and that is... (laughs) Vacuums. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) transformational. Clearly on the top five list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in the 20th century, I can't think of very many others that would top that. The Hoover transformation. Right, 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 right. It's funny because Hoover has become this adjacent term that you just Hoover things up. It's like the Kleenex of vacuum. Oh, like when you're doing a retro business meeting? Yeah, yeah, Like, oh, let me just Hoover that and get back to you? Okay. (laughs) A couple years ago, I guess it was because I'm a really good son, I bought my mom a vacuum for, I think it was like her birthday or (laughs) something. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my parents were like, they couldn't decide. And I like went on the wire cutter and found like the top three And I like bought them all just to like let her choose. And she ended up with whichever one she liked. But I also ended up with one that I didn't have before that. You bought several and then you okay. I guess. That's hilarious. Okay. She was just in such indecision. So I tried to make it easy, I guess. Anyway, so I ended up with one. But I'll tell you what, the thing that is probably the most gratifying about a vacuum is when you go over the carpet and it leaves those like tracks and so you know you know what i'm talking about everybody knows what i'm talking about to be fair i've got hardwood floors the plush carpet and you get these patterns in it and i don't know there's something gratifying about that like if that didn't happen it wouldn't be as gratifying to vacuum and so i think they have figured out how to make it a gratifying experience like you see okay i did that spot and i'm going to go over here and do this spot and i know that that's clean because it's like all sticking up and it's like darker colored and whatever you know and that's a gratifying experience so let's give it a a virtue (laughs) what do you think They suck. (laughs) Classic. I mean, you made the joke that I would normally make. I think, I don't know. We used to have to vacuum as kids for sure. I think vacuums essentially are technology that even though we have like, I don't know, the wire cutter, also like nice, good one with the battery. I think it mostly just moves stuff around. Some of it gets sucked up, but I don't think it's doing a whole lot. I don't know how to repair it if I wanted to, like we were saying. No, I don't care. Uh, But every time you clean it out, you're like, that's a lot of That's a lot lot of of stuff. And it's also like flying back into the air because it's particulate Mm. matter that doesn't even go use gravity to go down particularly. (laughs) So let's just say, great, we're just adding more dust on this side of the house. I think think they're sort of useless. Also, the noise pollution issue is one that we've just all Mm. come to accept. Mm. And I think it's like, what is Mm. going on? So it's a vice. Well, one thing that doesn't suck is ChatGPT. I mean, it's been doing some crazy things. It's going to be really interesting to watch where it goes. Even by the time folks listen to this, or even, I bet even some time now, if people are listening to the archive, this is going to feel almost dated because I think this is going to be really crazy. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.